I'm Helen Lowe, and this is Naked Conversations, Women Uninterrupted, a series of dialogues I'm sharing with a soul friend and fellow life learner, Lisa Fitzhugh, because we believe that relating to self and other with honesty and vulnerability unlocks the transformational potential needed in a world poised for collapse. While some might challenge the notion that conversation is a catalyst for real change, we trust this most humble of actions is precisely what's needed to dismantle what doesn't work and cultivate a more inclusive and sustainable way of being. Whoever you are, we're honored to have you in the conversation. Good morning, Lisa. Good morning. It's raining here in Bellingham. Is it raining there in Seattle? Yes, it's raining here, but it stopped about a half an hour ago. But it was actually really a welcome rain. I felt like we needed it. Mm -hmm. The garden needs it. Mm -hmm. I've suggested a topic for us today. I've been spending um, a lot of time in the last few years looking at the concept of chi, life force energy and where we spend it. Uh, A teacher I had once talked about investing chi like we might invest our money. And it brings up uh, questions about, yeah, where do we invest our money? Our physical money, where do we invest that? Where do we invest our emotional energy? Where do we invest our mental energy, our physical energy, our attention, our hearts? Because it seems like what we give our energy to, just like if we invest money in something, it grows. It has the potential to grow and blossom. Mm -hmm. One can also kind of blow up, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. um, into Mm -hmm. some kind of a mushroom cloud. Mm -hmm. So how about we, we just spend a little time exploring even the concept of investing our energy and how maybe we as individuals think about that and how that affects our lives and how we move through the world and maybe how that might be changing. Yeah. To attend to something, to attend uh, has the word tend in it. And so for me, when I'm attending to something, when I'm doing it well, I'm giving it my full attention. Um, I'm not distracted in doing other things because actually I know that then I won't be doing what I'm attending to well. (laughs) There There are times in a day where I can see that I'm attending to things that I have to attend to, or I think I do because they're the things of keeping a life um, together, whether it's paying the bills or um, taking out the trash or um, filling out forms for college, my son's college financial applications. Um, These are all, I'm attending to them and they're not um, super inspiring in the moment. And yet they are kind of the basics to um, uh, keeping life from being more chaotic. I mean, they keep, keep things kind of running smoothly, I guess you could say. I know I'm always going to have to attend to those level of details on any given day, a certain amount. Kind of the more big picture, if I step back and I look at a week or a month maybe, 
um, where did I focus my attention? Where was I attending? What was the majority of my energy devoted to in a week's period of time? The thing I'll say that I'm noticing recently is, is that I have found a deficit in the amount of attention or attending or investment of energy I'm giving to my um, inner life, my inner viewing, my, my quiet inner reflection of how I'm feeling, um, what's coming up, what's arising. And that, 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 that's uh, that attention or that tending, um, reaps an incredible amount of reward in my ability to when I'm then returning out into the world to attend to my outer reality, I have far more equanimity. So it's an investment that reaps equanimity. So that's just one example I'll kick off with, you know, that feels like the beginning of what I can see about, about this question you ask. I like that distinction of, am I investing enough in my internal life? And that, that, that investing in your internal life reaps rewards on the outside is would you agree? Is that what you were saying? Yeah. And the flip is also true. When I've neglected to invest in my internal life, uh, my external world gets um, very, has more drama mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's reflecting a lack of equanimity mm-hmm. in the inside that mm-hmm. comes from not tending to the quietness and, the, and, the, and the what's arising inside. And maybe even a, a quality of drama is kind of perhaps a reflection of disconnection. Mm. So if I'm not connected to myself or you're not connected to yourself, if we're not connected to ourselves, then we kind of act that out, not feeling connected to everything else. Yeah. It's dramatic. Yeah. Something that came up for me in, in what you said was how we can so often give over like I have to invest my energy in these mundane tasks. Um, and that's just the way it is. You know, I live, I've, I'm choosing to live in a worldly way. And so, you know, I need to do a certain number of activities um, to be able to do that. And yet then what becomes interesting is then how do I do those things? So I can choose to invest my energy in doing the mundane but how do I do that? Do I focus on the, the tedium of it, you know, um, my irritation with it, the fact that I'm not doing the things that I want to do, yada, yada, yada? Or am I able to really be with fully what I'm doing? Like, you know, is there a way in which we can, even in the tasks that we don't enjoy, bring a level of that? inner connectivity, that appreciation, infusing it, investing a positive energy or a level of appreciation or, or respect or gratitude or whatever it is for the task. Yes. And it makes it more joyful and more of a mini adventure even maybe. (laughs) The other thing though, that I notice about 
fully attending, well, bringing all that presence to even the most mundane tasks, if you're investing your energy and really wanting it to be a full experience versus just running on the kind of the unconscious. I've noticed that in doing that, I'm also then able to take in more of the data or the information about what this task really means. So let's just take taking out the garbage. Every time I take out the recycling these days, I'm much more aware of that. I know that this stuff is actually not getting all getting processed, that China's not taking it anymore, that they're finding teeny little pieces of plastic in the ice cores up in, I think it's Greenland or Iceland, basically that, so that it's now in the atmosphere and all of this information, which I'm aware of, is now present with me as I'm taking out the trash. And so I'm carrying a view of it, of not just gratitude that I have a place to take my trash, <laughs> um, and that I'm alive, and this is a simple act, and I'm enjoying the feel of walking out without my shoes on the you know, sidewalk and all of that, and the sort of bittersweet grief that is the truth about what's happening to our trash that we're running out of room mm -hmm. that i still use too much plastic that i regret that i don't have a way to uh buy groceries without so much packaging and all of that is coming together in kind of a shared awareness that really makes the task quite profound mm -hmm. And it's not that it takes away from the joy of just showing up for the garbage. It makes it so that I'm, I have to be present to, to all of the aspects of um, my, my life's impact on everything else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what you're highlighting is this imperative, I feel, to, to live fully live mindfully live joyfully live from the heart and not live in some kind of a bubble you know not yeah not turn a blind eye to reality you know and i think so many of us um have a story about ourselves uh so that might be positive that might be oh i'm doing all these things you know and then we, but we're kind of blind to the other ways we're contributing whether or not um that's an easy thing to avoid you know we're contributing we're, we're also investing our energy into things we don't we we don't want to support like yeah. that's just the reality of it and um maybe if we carry that mindfulness not to shame ourselves not to feel guilty but to say okay what are the things that I can shift? What are the conveniences I can live without and feel good about? Not so I feel like life is scarce and dangerous, but because I feel empowered to take different actions and to participate and invest my energy in, in different ways, you know? Um, yeah. There are all kinds of conveniences in, in modern life that I participate in. And there are some that I've like reached my threshold, like, oh, wait, I don't need to participate in that. Like Amazon Prime being a prime example or 
buying Amazon at all. It's like, there's a certain way in which I don't want to give my life force energy into the idea that immediacy and convenience is the supreme good somehow. Yeah, that, um, there are these things that I've given up. I'm not interested in participating in anymore um, because it's so uncomfortable. I can't mm-hmm. reckon with the disparity between the participation in the thing and my consciousness. And I don't, and I don't want to give my energy there at all. Um, and, uh, and so I feel like I find myself unable it's very hard for me now, for instance, to go downtown and wander through the high-end shopping district in Seattle, where um, filled with stores that are selling new clothes that most of the time the working conditions are not great. People aren't making very much. The corporations are making a huge amount on top of, of that. Obviously, there's such a disparity in what we pay for. And what's hard for me is to be in that consumerism zone, watching people be mindless about it on their phones, carrying shopping bags, and oblivious to something that feels really real to me at this point, which is um, the lack of sustainability of that story around consumerism. And so in certain zones in Seattle, that consumerism is more intense and I no longer want to be there. Now, I haven't been able to pull out of consumer culture entirely. That's not there yet. Um, and yet there are certain zones that I literally can't stomach any longer because of um, uh, it feels like it's taking my life force out of me or something, but clearly it's not, um, not healthy. You bring up this point about it taking your life force. That feels to me a really good measure. Am I, am I giving my energy to something that gives energy back to me? Or am I giving my energy to something that just sucks my energy, like, you know, saps it? Um, and I think this is, you know, I don't want this conversation to be perceived as an admonishment of what anybody's doing as an individual, because I think we need to ask ourselves these questions as individuals. And then we come together and we make, we also make choices in collectives, but um, check in to see what are, what are we participating in that feels good and life-giving and feels like wholesome, makes me feel part of the whole and, and what isn't, and it doesn't mean that every single choice I make in a modern world is going to be perfectly wholesome, but, but if faced with, you know, A or B, I could feel into, you know, if I'm buying a product, which one of these products feels more um, nutritious, nutritious, wholesome. Yes. Nutritious, yeah. wholesome, um, aligned. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they might not, we might not have always perfect choices, but how beautiful that we take our power to pause and reflect and ask ourselves and not participate, not give our energy away uh, mindlessly, blindly. 
Yeah, without thought, mm-hmm. without some consideration. Mm-hmm. I think that's the first step that we're all going to be needing to take as we see the cliff, <laughs> the edge, this trajectory that we can, many of us can see is, is not going to keep going, you know? Mm-hmm. And so as we get closer to that, there's a, there's a way in which you think, oh, it's inevitable. We're just going to go off this cliff. So what good is it to do for me to change? I need some things. I'm just going to do that because it's convenient. And what good is it going to do if I don't go there? But I think the thing to notice is, is that if I change the pattern because of how it makes me feel, mm-hmm. then, then that in and of itself is the radical act. Yes. Because I'm choosing something nutritious and wholesome over something that's seductive and life-sucking. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and perhaps addictive then. And then we're feeding an addiction rather than a, than a life force. Yeah. I think this is really critical. And this goes back to the, the notion of not judging anybody else's choices. Um, it's not about that. Uh, it's about inviting us to live more wholesomely because even if we can't change the trajectory if we each take responsibility for what we're feeding and being fed by yeah it it almost can't help but something um something more whole will arise even if it doesn't change an ultimate outcome it will make the the ride to that ultimate ultimate outcome more humane perhaps more kind more loving more joyful um yeah and if we are what we eat and energy is food then we're becoming the more nutritious evolved consciousness that we would hope could expand and, 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 and become more representative within, within the collective. But again, it's not, it's not forcing anybody to do it if they're not ready, but you, knowing that you can make that choice um, feels very empowering. I want to flip it or, or maybe just look at the piece of intention and energy in a different place, which for me lately also came up as noticing that I had a couple days that were pretty low in terms of my own mood. Um, I spent a little too much time looking about what was going on in the outside world, which I think it's important to do. And I noticed that if I take in too much of that, if I eat too much of that, if I attend too long to that, then I start to judge and blame everything because it's, it's, I'm in resistance. I start, I start being in resistance to what's happening. I guess I would say it gets thicker and denser and more real as a problem that is not overcomable. And we can talk about specifics, meaning, you know, what we read in the paper about what's happening in the world. We can talk about um, the refugee crisis. I've just mm-hmm. you know, watched a beautiful film by Ai Weiwei called Human Flow that um, documents this tragic uh, current moment for us and the number of people who are displaced, 65 million people in the last 
short period of time. And the first place I start to put my energy is of attending to and noticing what have we done as a country? Why are we culpable in, in destabilizing countries and economies over the last, you know, 50, 60, 70 years that have, and where we've, because we've needed to have certain resources and we've needed to dominate and we've needed to control in, in strategic global politics, where have we been complicit in this? And to sit with that is really uncomfortable. But I noticed that if, and, and that's good and that's healthy, but if I stay too focused there, then I really get into blame and judgment and fury of the whole situation, which keeps me from just sitting with the grief about it's happening. That's on a bigger level and just switching my attention to something kind of much more personal near term, whether it's, you know, judging my neighbor for driving his motorcycle too loudly. If I, again, get stuck around the judgment of his choice and how negatively impactful that is to everyone else, I'm part of the conflict and the increasing tensions and irreparability versus a quality of attention that is just breathing into what's happening mm-hmm. and observing it and asking questions. It goes back to what you said toward the beginning about tending to it, the internal life. So even as we take in information of the outside, if we stay outside um, and we stay in the shock and horror, trauma and blame that goes on, we are feeding that. We're feeding more of it. But if we, if we, take in something like the movie you just described and then tend to the inner life relative to that thing. Do we then become part of like the world's uh, immune system, like cleansing, you know, detoxifying, kind of purifying, coming back to a sense of wholeness as an individual, even in the face of such horrific separation can I not participate in the separation and just be with the grief, as you say, and be a kind of a wholeness and a love in the face of that? And then maybe some, some action might arise uh, or some choices. Maybe I get informed and some choices then might be, become more clear to me that I didn't have before I took in that information. But if I don't bring it back, if I don't tend the soil in my own self, as you pointed out before, then um, I stay out there and I feel depleted. I feel disconnected and um, I'm actually participating in that disconnection and only amplifying and I'm not doing anything to help it. And like you said, I, I end up feeling like I don't have any choices. I feel helpless. What do I do as a single person? What's possible? And you end up feeling just sort of stuck in that not knowing. You know, 
I'm reading this book right now um, by a dear friend and mentor, Eric Booth. Um, it's called Art and uh, Art as a Spiritual Religion, or Art and Personal Religion. I'll get the title right in a in a second, but um, he gives this great example of um, he's working with a corporate board and he's wanting them to notice their attention and how they invest their energy and how it affects their problem solving together. So he gives them this task where he places a um, African art object in the middle of the table. And he says, um, you've been, one of you is going to need to write an article about this for the newsletter that's coming out today in the corporate internal memo about this piece of art. And um, you need to do it in the next hour. So, so what are you going to do? And the group starts um, immediately trying to figure out where they can get information about the art piece. And they spend all their time debating about where they're going to get that information and who has it. So the problem solving is about looking outside for data about a thing that's sitting right in front of them. I love it. And then he says, notice that we haven't gotten any closer to writing the piece. Let me ask you, try a different strategy. Just start by noticing what you notice about this piece of art. Factually, what do you notice about it? Start, talk about the art. Ask some questions about the art, which they do for the next 15 minutes. And suddenly, on the tail end of that, they are filled with creative ideas about the articles they're going to each of them write about this piece of art. Because they started with a very curious, open inquiry into what's going on and how they feel about it. And from that place, they arrived at more choices. <laughs> so I feel like he just did this thing that you just talked about. It, and, and that we're, show, we're sort of trying to kind of offer of the kind of quality of attention one can have to something that feels challenging or difficult or unknowable or, or other or foreign or, or you know, um, confusing or any number of things that we're walking around during the day experiencing. That is such a beautiful exercise and example of looking to the outside to solve problems and feeling I'm not powerful enough. I don't have the information. I've got to go outside to do something. And it's like right here in front of me. It's beautiful. Right? It's, How do I feel? What does this evoke in me? How am I a player in, in this? Where is my power to participate? Yes. Yes. You know, what, what this brings to mind right now, Lisa, is how much we in our culture ingest um, exterior um, products. We kind of ingest them whole, films, TV shows, you know, series, um, you know, things that can be beautiful, but it's like we don't often bring them back into 
um, our internal world and see what they might inspire us toward we go and ingest some more and so we keep filling ourselves up you know we call ourselves consumers even you know uh-huh. Uh-huh. We, we aren't even like so much citizens anymore as we are consumers um, uh-huh. and and we consume and we consume and we consume and there's no real time to digest we might purge you know but uh, but there's no real time to digest. And in that digestion, giving ourselves some space to then be our own creation, offer our own creation. Um, this feels like a really essential part of how we invest energy. You know? And the exchange, the reciprocal exchange of receiving something, processing it, digesting something and then offering back our energy back out into the world in a, in a creative life giving nourishing way, and then taking in more nourishment and that that's a, a nourishing exchange instead of just consuming, 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 and then feeling at the effect of a world that we think we didn't create, but we're creating it with, with every choice, with every thought, with every interaction with the person at the grocery store or customer service person you know, that frustrates the hell out of us on the telephone. We create the world that we live in. Yeah. Well, seeing how much more beautiful the response is or more full the response is when we take time to digest what's coming in. I mean, I can, I can say that for years, you know, it was a source of pride for me that I could respond to questions and inquiry and anybody, you know, wanting something from me quickly, you know, that I was, you know, um, quick on the draw. And I could, I could, especially in a work environment, you know, um, get back to people immediately about what I thought or what should happen. And um, I've come to so much more value the people who in my life will say, you know, I'm going to take a little time with that. Um, I'll get back to you. And of course, when they really do get back to you versus just blow you off, which can happen sometimes, but um, they've, they've done exactly what you said. They've t- taken a question or an inquiry and they've digested it fully. And they've, they've not succumbed to the pressure of the culture to be immediately responsive. They value and they know that they themselves will find it more valuable to turn that information into something digestible in return because they've digested it and brought it back for sharing. And that, that I'm just getting better at honoring that in myself and asking for that kind of time um, and I'll just add that I think the place that I, I need the most amount of time that I haven't given myself is in the processing of emotional material. Right. It takes me much longer to process something that's happened emotionally to me. And I'm just learning how long it takes. I think I have a different digestion time than I realized. Sometimes it can take weeks for something that might've happened for me to fully digest it and then be able to communicate again with someone that I had the emotional interaction with. Um, And I, 
it takes a lot of courage to say to someone who's wanting to connect with me, I can't connect right now because I'm, I'm deep in process around what happened. And if you can trust that I'll be back with more to share, but that kind of attention and investment of energy to digesting an emotional experience, that's definitely uh, one that I've had to learn to do differently. So, you know, when we think about, okay, that's maybe one human interaction, one real life face-to-face human interaction that stirs up some strong emotional material that needs to be processed. And we think about the pace at which we're living and how much catastrophic material we are taking in all day, every day. Um, and it, how could we possibly process it? And then we're, we're just consuming, 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 and we work all day and we take in the news and we come home and we watch a series and we, you know, tend to our families or what, and we don't give ourselves that time to internally process. Like, I think what we're, we're experiencing is like, we're also bereft of resources to deal with the deluge of trauma in the field of our world. And you think about, you know, indigenous cultures that have all kinds of resources and had far less daily trauma, you know, but they were constantly or are the few of them that are left Mm. living that way are constantly in relationship with resources and looking for support to help them process emotional material, um, you know, uh, disagreements between people, um, being out of alignment. There's so many ways in which there are rituals or um, ways of being resourced that we are, are lacking and we need them more than ever. So maybe we could talk a little bit about in a modern life how we might better resource ourselves, the energy we might put on being resourced to help us process and digest um, so that we can more creatively, Mm -hmm. more wholesomely offer Mm -hmm. something nourishing back into the world Mm -hmm. instead of just mirroring more of the trauma. Yeah. I mean, I think it starts first and foremost, with um, really limiting how much we're taking in, making better choices to not fill every moment with information and stimulus coming in from the outside. And we all know what that looks like. It looks like not giving yourself any space to just be still on a weekend, or it means being on the computer and or watching, you know, taking in video and, and streaming and all and reading, even reading, you know, data all the time coming in. Um, I think we've got to look at how much we've got to look at how much comes in and how much is really sustainable for the human body and the human consciousness and our energetic system, nervous system to 
successfully process that. And I think it does speak to kind of, it's contributing to the toxicity of ourselves and the world um, uh, significantly just by us not tending more to the amount coming in on a daily basis. Yeah, so we start by tending to the level of intake. And then I know for myself, uh, just yesterday, uh, I went with a, a dear person in my life to trees and we just sat, we didn't really speak, we just sat amongst some trees. Um, and we could hear some traffic off in the distance, but just sitting still sitting at the forest floor um, Mm -hmm. on some tree roots, my whole body started to kind of resonate with the stillness versus resonating with the noise of uh, a busier environment. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that doesn't mean we have to live there. You know, you can come back into the world, but I noticed that that's one way in which I can, process. It's like being with that stillness helps me process and digest so that when I encounter more noise, I don't have to just mirror that back. I can actually have some space in my system to offer some stillness. Um, even in using words, my, my words can have more of an energy of stillness or calm or equanimity is a word you used earlier. Yeah. I think. Um, yeah. I found myself the other day um, allowing myself and allowing is the right word because I, I, I don't haven't allowed myself to do this. Um, and I've done this several times this summer, just watching the light change in the evening, sitting still long enough to watch the light change from late afternoon into nighttime. And what a beautiful experience that is and that could it was a couple cases it's sitting outside and just watching the effect of the light changing on everything it's a beautiful experience and piece of art that we could all it's like going to a beautiful museum and seeing some of the most amazing art there is and it's something all of us can do at any given moment and it's an extended artistic experience Um, I don't allow myself to do that very often. And yet it is detoxifying. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not the data that I'm taking in is not, doesn't want anything from me. It's, it's actually not processing in me at the same level that reading a book is, mm-hmm. um, or having a conversation with someone is takes far less energy. And in fact, I think is actually doing some healing work as it's happening. Beautiful. Another resource I use is relational, like being able to give myself enough space to express. So um, that can take lots of different forms. So it can be just creating enough time in the morning or the evening to do a little journaling, you know, just a little stream of consciousness, letting some of that uh, unmetabolized material metabolize in my system by, by writing something out longhand through, you know, on, on a page. Um, another relational way is I, I have friends that I will talk to and we'll just, um, agree we'll just even be on the phone and agree like hey, 
you're going to check in with me. I'm going to check in with you. And the other one just doesn't speak. The other one just stays present and receives and lets the, the, the talking person just say whatever they want, including silence. And then the speaker gets to hear themselves in a different way without words from the, from the listener. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that's another way to just express, or I, I'll, I'll, I'll move to a piece of music. I'll put on music and just move my body or let myself sing or weep. <laughs> or, mm-hmm. uh, these, these forms of expression, relational expression, um, help me to process material without taking in more things. Yeah. And all of that really takes time and a letting go of a self-consciousness given our culture that we are, um, that we believe that this is so healthy. This is such a healthy choice versus a self-indulgent choice Mm -hmm. or a waste of time choice or a, you know, non-productive choice. Like that mindset, I think also is hard for people right now because of the cultural norms. Mm-hmm. And so, that, and of course, people have to kind of come in into to it their own way. But you know, even just to experiment with a little bit of that, to notice how nourishing it can be when you're resourcing yourself with these non-toxic, actually very healing activities in your life, um, uh, is is a way to kind of. Um, ground yourself in believing it as more powerful as a meme for health than what society right now is telling us is a meme for health. If taking action is infused with the same energy that the action is meant to change or shift, you are just contributing to more. So if I go and do a bunch of, quote, good work in the world or um, activism in the world with a level of trauma, angst, anxiety, anger in my system, I am contributing to the very thing I am wanting to, you know, rid the world of. If, however, I give myself some time to digest and be a force of peace and love in the world, I may take fewer actions because I've, I've spent some time, you know, time is kind of, you know, finite in a lifetime. Um, I may take fewer actions over a lifetime, but have those actions, are they infused with love and peace and care and kindness that actually does more, contributes more to the thing I'm wanting more of instead of contributing more of the thing I'm wanting less of. I think, you know, we're so worried about quantity, 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 and getting it all in and doing something mm. um, that we, we miss that we're actually perhaps giving the very thing we don't want to be giving. And mm. we're not allowing ourselves to cult- cultivate what we do. Yeah. You know, I've, I've wrestled with this for a long time because at a deep level, I've really believed that um, so much more about depth versus scale. And it, it showed up in my choices around the organization I started, Arts Court, you know, 20 years ago, where people kept saying, when are you going to scale? When are you going to scale? When are you going to go to other cities? 
And I kept saying, oh my gosh, we have so much work to do to just deepen our understanding of the quality of the program here. I, why go, the, people can learn from us and do it in other cities, but, but the richness is here, staying present to this, this thing. It's not about scale. And it's interesting how we lost a lot of potential funders in that because they thought they were kind of disinterested because we weren't scaling. And I think what I've learned in the last 20 years and especially more recently is, is that my effectiveness with people in the work that I do, the, 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 my ability to show up and be present and a deep listener and offer insights that I think are actually so much more nutritious because they come from a because they come from a place where I've been being nutritious in myself. I can see that I am doing so much less than I used to, doing less, actually producing less than I used to, and and experiencing such a more potent relationships impact, um, immediate feedback that something positive is starting to happen. Um, it's dramatic. And I'm still in disbelief about it on some level, because again, the cultural norms are <laughs> telling us it's all about scale and pace and rapidity and re reproductibility and all of that. And my lived experience is, is that there's no more, I don't want to compromise anymore on quality. And equality is only possible through the stillness and the quiet and the choosing of less to do less, fewer things more nutritiously. I do want to just mention this, the book that I, Eric's book, because I, I misspoke about the title and I do want to say the right title because it fits so much into what we're talking about. He's titled his book, Tending the Perennials, <laughs> the Art and Spirit of a Personal Religion. And he is talking about tending the, the pieces of our lives that have more of an infinite, the perennials, the things that are constant, the, 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 the sort of underlying themes of beauty and love uh, that are underneath and running under the human experience. Um, and he's, he is calling for us to consider how we could tend well to those perennials and it comes out both as an expression in art and as expression in how we express our spirituality that is a really potent potent image i want to tie that back to this notion of of consuming and where we place our energy if we're tending to, if we're placing more of our energy to the things that are perennial, to the things that are more lasting, to the things that matter most and, and will arise again and again and again, like love, connection, you know, re relations uh, with our environment, with each other, with other beings, that will always produce something nourishing. It can't help but be. But if we're giving our energy to the things that are fleeting, that don't last, they not only leave us hungry and wanting more, you know, so we, we then consume more of them, 
we're actually kind of, there's a kind of a pollution. There's a kind of a, um, it's kind of like junk food, you know, and there's these wrappers and, and the toxicity of the, that was creating the junk yeah. food, you know, yeah. and that's a literal thing and also a metaphoric thing. Yeah. 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 So, so maybe it comes down to this kind of, when we talked, talked about it earlier, there was this noticing I had about, you know, what proportion of time in any given week or any given month am I spending on where am I putting my energy? And I think you've just helped me. And then Eric's book title and his book is helping me notice that really the proportion of time that I want to spend more of my energy in is are the perennials, the things that live way past us and the things that sustain us um, uh, far more profoundly than, like you said, the junk food and the junk food wrappers and um, the weeds and um, the superficial stuff, the fleeting that comes and goes. In, in the book, he's, he's calling it a personal religion because it's not about following an organized storyline about what that should look like. It's developing it for yourself. What is perennial to you right now? What does that mean to you right now? Um, what feels the most long-lasting and the most sustaining to you right now? And how much attention do you give to that? How much energy do you give to that? It brings to mind um, a time... I don't know if I mentioned it on one of these calls before. It seems like I did. Um, a time where I was working in an organization in a, a full-time capacity, and um, we were on a retreat, a day-long retreat together, and people in, in a break started to fall into a conversation about some TV show that was on. And um, I felt a little alien, because one, I, I don't really watch television. Um, I don't have one. So I felt like an alien. Um, but what also struck me was how these were like brilliant, really smart, creative people. And they were spending a whole lot of time and energy, this life force energy, talking about a television show, like fake characters. It wasn't real. And it wasn't like they were relating it to some way to help them see the world differently or live their lives differently. It wasn't like it was inspiring them. It was just seemed to be occupying their time and just taking their life force energy that they were giving to it and uh, kind of a one way thing. And I, when I mentioned something, I don't remember what I mentioned and maybe it wasn't very tactful, but the comeback to me was, oh, Helen, we, we need to blow off some steam. You know, we work so hard and, and there's so much yeah. going on and we're dealing with such big issues in the world and our work, like we need to blow off steam. And yeah. I think we only need to do that if we're not tending the soil, like if we're not digesting what we're doing, what we're experiencing and then nourishing ourselves. And so then we need these things mm -hmm. to blow off steam. We, mm -hmm. we are 
totally spent and we go on vacations and we collapse and we often get sick on our vacations because, you know, we haven't been tending the soil and the, of our internal being and the, those perennials are, uh, get weak and wilted and, um, yeah. I mean, you know, it's a difference between appreciating uh, a show because it's entertainment versus appreciating a show because it's a piece of art, you know, and maybe for me, like I'm much more interested in, in if I'm going to take something in like a TV show that it, I take it in by looking at it as a piece of art. And I'm curious about its format, its design and the choices they made and why they made them. Um, But when I'm in a depleted place and I haven't been tending and I just want to watch something for entertainment value. Um, it, it, I can't even offer up any energy to take it as a piece of art because all I want to do is be entertained. And I'm, I really want to not have a judgment around because it's reflecting of what people seem to need at the moment. And yet we're just suggesting, I think, Helen, that notice if it's really, if is that nourishing you? Just ask the question. Yeah. It's not about shaming and and it's not to say that I'm better than, or I haven't been there or I don't still check out. It's yeah. It's none of that. It's thank you for uh, just helping to highlight that. That's so important. This isn't about making anybody feel bad about the choices they've been making or might continue to make. It's more an invitation um, to consider from a different perspective yeah, and to consider if you might need less checkout, if you were doing something uh, differently, that if you were finding different resources and creating some space, like could you take some of that time that you're using now consuming entertainment or whatever it is, um, could you take some, at least just some of that time Right. To go watch evening, you know, sunset turn into night or go sit at the roots of a tree or journal or dialogue deeply with a friend or dance in your living room or whatever it is that will help you to process the huge amount of stimulus and um, trauma and grief that is our world today. Yeah. And I really want to, there's a great metaphor, I think, for this we could use. It's so, it's so apropos, which is, you know, it's, it's a little like changing your diet kind of, you, you can't change your diet overnight. So, so, you know, I got a new cat recently and he basically been fed only dry food, which the holistic vet will say, it's just like eating, you know, Cheetos for his entire life. <laughs> and he developed uh, stomach he had developed a stomach uh, problem, uh, irritable bowel syndrome, because he's, he wasn't able to get the right kinds of nutrients. And to make the transition to more nourishing food, he at first wouldn't even recognize the nourishing food. He wouldn't eat it. He didn't recognize it as food. He had to actually go hungry. She said, don't put it, don't feed him. He can't, you can't put the junk food out. You have to have a couple days where you're, he's uncomfortable and he's hungry and he wants to eat the junk food. But if he keeps eating that, he'll never develop a taste for the healthy stuff. Right? 
So so great. So I took him two or three days and then he started to nibble around the edges of the healthy stuff. And pretty soon after some stomach stuff and several weeks went by, his body recognized the healthy food is healthy. And now um, he eats it all in one meal. He doesn't get nauseous. He doesn't have to take little bits. His, his coat is better. He's happier. He's running around, right? So I <laughs> recognize that I actually think, Helen, what we're, what we're talking about here is we're saying, we're saying to folks, there's a very good chance that like at the beginning, if you've only been ingesting maybe not the health, healthiest food for your energy, not healthiest way to invest your energy, you may not recognize how nourishing it would be to, to dance and cry on your living room you know, rug for um, a couple hours in the evening. That may not appeal to you at all and may not give you any pleasure um, for lots of reasons. And, uh, and so take it in really small bites, but you may have to go without the food you've been eating. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you may try to just turn it off for a while. I think a lot of people are talking about this going on tech sabbaticals, Mm -hmm. really trying to be off of their phones for a week and noticing how helpful it is for their spaciousness and their um, ability to attend to stuff when they get back. Well, Lisa, I, I feel like we've, just uncovered the the tip of an iceberg of a really big topic because there's so many ways that we invest our energy. But I love this last metaphor that you've given us of um, maybe we just have to remove some of the less nourishing food from the diet, maybe remove some of the ways in which we can, some of the things that we've been consuming we've been actually investing our energy into that have not been giving us energy back. Yeah. Healthy, nourishing energy back. Yeah. Um, And exploring, just exploring. What is my resource? I mean, Helen and Lisa have offered a very few, you know, there are so many resources out there. There are groups that we could participate in that are interested in um, nourishing exchanges rather than kind of rants or, uh, complaints or um, stressful exchanges. Um, just even just reading a poem, and you could take something in of, of reading a poem, but something that gives you lots of space, like for your mind to wonder. There's so many things you might do instead of maybe what's habitual. There's an infinite array of things we could do, and this is where our our uh, powers as creators of creative agents in our lives gets really interesting because we have so much raw material from which to make nutritious choices. So much raw material. And the only thing that's keeping us from seeing the infinite array of nutritious choices we could make is a lack of imagination right now and how much we're being fed and sold as what we should believe is nutritious for us because the, there's a business model out there that wants us to do that. So I think we take our power back when we see that we have every ability to make nutritious choices. We don't have to be sold by a consumer culture to, 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 to get those. We, we actually have 
full agency to make them in the raw material of life. And it will cost us very little financially, actually, um, because it's all already in us and our ability to imagine um, um, new ways of being in, in the world and with each other. So I think you and I'll probably end up having more conversations. It feels rich to follow this thread of the increasingly creative ways we're working with the raw material of life that don't depend on um, people selling it to us. And, and I want to just put a call out to anybody who's listening that I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from people how they're getting nourished and um, let's be in dialogue together as, as community and um, share rich exchanges with each other. Let's do it. This has been Naked Conversations, Women Uninterrupted. If our conversation inspired or provoked you, we hope you'll start a meaningful exchange with the people in your life. We're grateful to Kevin McLeod, who generously provided this music, and to artist Tom X, a dear friend of Lisa's, for providing the beautiful painting that graces our show title. Until next time, may we all remember the sometimes miraculous power of real dialogue and practice having kind, curious, and naked conversations.